Good afternoon and welcome to Redneck Radio, a podcast for people who want the truth and have an internet connection. You know, right now is one of my favorite times in the hunting year, and it's duck hunting season, which is great because duck hunting season comes at just the right time. It's something you can do during those cold, dark, long winter days. You know, when it's horrible and you don't want to go outside. So it's great that duck hunting exists in order to motivate me to go outside. Now, I love it for a lot of reasons, other than just reminding me of better days. But hunting ducks can be challenging, and part of the reason it's challenging is because I actually am not a great shot with a shotgun. But there's a lot of other reasons. You know, I love seeing ducks up close. Uh, Here we mostly get teals and mallards. I've I've never actually shot a wood duck, even though I know that over there on the eastern flyways, wood ducks are in great supply, but here I've never shot one. I've also never shot a banded duck, you know, and mostly my method for shooting ducks is to just jump shoot ducks. And part of that is because I don't have the patience or the means to use decoys. So I usually just hike around the rivers in my waders until my thermal pants are so wet I really can't tell if it's because I've been sweating or if I've pissed myself. And shooting birds, for the most part, is very conflicting to me because one of the few things that makes me feel guilty when I was a kid, one of the few things that made me guilty or feel guilty was shooting birds with my BB gun. And after a while, I I just couldn't do it anymore because they seemed like such innocent creatures. But I love shooting ducks, and I would love to go shoot pheasants if I knew where there were some wild pheasants, which I don't. And it's interesting because I've always looked at uh, birds as something that you shoot. But recently I came across an article that talks about people who actually use birds to hunt. Now, you know, those Mongolians who use eagles to hunt foxes and whatever, they're, they're the attention whores. They get all the attention, right? Because they look so cool sitting on their horse with a gigantic eagle on their arm, and that's pretty cool. But the article I read was talking about falcon hunting in the Middle East. And this article comes from Forbes.com. And it says, Qatar's 7th annual falcon hunting and raptor husbandry festival, known officially as the Qatar International Falcons and Hunting Festival, Marmi the Challenge, opens on January 1st, attracting falconers from around the world and around the world. That's kind of weird that it would say that in the article, but that's actually how it's printed. It will run for a month, and falcons and raptor hunting generally mean a very great deal in the Gulf states, where, as festival times intensify, the market... Oh my gosh, this this is really actually hard to read. I'm beginning to wonder if this might have been written by uh, someone in the Middle East. Uh, but anyway, as festival times intensify the market, the rarest purebred uh, gyra falcons, or I don't know how to pronounce that, the largest of the falconidae, again, another word I don't know how to pronounce, and an arctic bird popular for hunting among the gentry of med- medieval Europe, have been recently reported to fetch as much as $250,000. Now, I read through all of that, much of it unnecessary, and a lot of it very hard to read to get to just one point. This is a big deal, and you can tell how big of a deal it is by just how expensive these birds are. They are saying that a bird has the potential to cost you $250,000. 
That is a lot of money. I mean, I don't know how much an antique Holland and Holland costs. Maybe there's Holland and Hollands out there that cost $250,000. It wouldn't surprise me, uh, you know, with great engravings. But a bird that costs $250,000. Now, they go on to say that, you know, you can find moderately priced birds, you know, healthy, athletic, young birds who cost between five dollars and $25,000. So an entry level bird is going to cost you five to twenty five thousand dollars, which to me is amazing. And this festival, it also has in it a competition. I think that's what the Marmy thing is, the Marmy the Challenge that we talked about. And that's a competition that runs for a month where I guess you take these birds and you go out and you try to catch whatever it is these birds catch, which I think for the most part is, you know, small game. Now, at the end of the festival month, on January 30th, uh, what's being called a a Falcon Beauty Pageant will take place. So, at the end of all these celebrations surrounding this these birds and their, you know, the hunting at the very end, they're going to have a beauty contest, kind of like we do for dogs and cats, uh, or you know, racehorses. Now, a top ranking bird has the potential to win its owner. $137,000, which is crazy because I don't know how much a best in show will get you in terms of prize money, but out there in in, in Qatar, if you've got a great looking bird, you should head out there and put it into that bird beauty contest because you could potentially win nearly $140,000 and that's crazy. But I kind of look at these pictures of these people hunting with falcons and or these Mongolians who hunt with eagles. And there's videos on the Internet of people and birds catching, you know, small deer and foxes. And it's pretty cool to see people hunting with birds. So I looked into it, you know, into falcon hunting in the U.S. And what I found was actually pretty interesting. There are a lot of people who do hunting with falcons and To my surprise, there are 60 people in the United States who can legally hunt using eagles. However, there are only 12 people who actively hunt with eagles. And this got me thinking, how cool would it be, you know, to roll up to go rabbit hunting with your friends and you get out of the car holding this majestic bird on your arm? And you know how they sit on top of those gloves that look like welding gloves? And the falcon has got, the, you know, that cool hood on his head. Your friends are like, what the hell is that? Oh, just my falcon. His name's Freddy. Freddy the falcon. And everyone piles into the back of the truck and you head off. And all your buddies are, you know, gazing into the rolling sagebrush with their 12 gauges at the ready. While you stand like a European lord with your falcon perched majestically on your arm. Now that you see the first rabbit, and your bird, Freddy, takes off in pursuit. And then, blam! Your stupid friend shoots your bird, and you're out five to $25,000. And from what I could tell, being a bird owner didn't look so great. I mean, they took a couple pictures of these people who own these eagles, and, and it showed these birds inside of their house. And basically, it looked like their house was a zoo. Or an aviary. Is that what you call places where you keep birds? I'm just going to assume that that's the case. There were feathers everywhere because I think that these birds all, you know, they all molt. And it just looked horrible. And I, I could almost smell how bad that house would smell. 
you know, just by the picture alone. I got a good, strong whiff of how horrible it would be. Now, my little sister, she owned a small bird, and even though it lived in this tiny little cage, it was the most disgusting corner of her room. So I can only imagine how much of a house would be ruined by owning a gigantic eagle and letting the eagle live in your house, which is crazy. I mean, eagles are massive. Not few of us have ever been really close to one because, you know, they're protected, but they are big birds and keeping one in your house is going to have some stinky and dirty repercussions. Now, one thing that struck me when I was reading this article was they kept referring to hunting with falcons as a sport. And I wondered, is it really a sport? I mean, it doesn't really seem like a sport to sit there and let the, you know, the falcon do all the work. That doesn't really seem very sportsmanlike. But then it made me wonder, is hunting a sport? Is what we do as hunters a sport? So I did what most unimaginative people do. And I looked up the definition of sport in the dictionary. And to my thankful surprise, I did discover that, in fact, hunting is a sport. It definitely meets all the qualification uh, qualifications of a sport as defined in the dictionary. And I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of things out there that get qualified as uh, you know being a sport. Things like curling and, and golf. And golf, I, I could see it being comparable to hunting because golfing and hunting are very similar. You know, you take away the cardigans and you add camo and they're kind of the same. What it is is a bunch of people driving around in small motorized vehicles, drinking beer and occasionally taking difficult shots at things hundreds of yards away. So if golf can be considered a sport, well, then why can't hunting be considered a sport? And, and the reason I ask is because a lot of hunters these days are being referred to as athletes. So I was thinking, well, if hunting is a sport, then referring to these people as athletes isn't too much of a stretch. And I've noticed that a lot of hunting clothing brands are calling their models or, or those who represent their brand as ambassadors, athletes, and of course some just use the uh, familiar sponsored hunter. And what amazes me is the thought of a hunter as an athlete because it doesn't seem like it's nearly as glamorous as being a basketball player or a football player. You know, they do get a bit of publicity and recognition, but hunters as athletes is kind of a new term that I think is just starting to be used because the stereotypical hunter is most definitely not a not an athlete. When you think or when someone who doesn't know a modern-day New Age hunter thinks of a hunter, they think of some fat, beer-swigging, ATV-riding, road-hunting roughneck who's more interested in hunting as a means to escape his wife than getting out there and, you know, pushing the limits of his endurance. But here's the funny thing. That fat, lazy road hunter... 20 years ago was hiking in the same mountains on the same trails in blue jeans and a flannel shirt. Or if it was really cold, he was wearing a pair of Carhartt overalls, you know, lugging his 30-06 with a wooden stock. Uh, he was out there doing the same stuff that these athletes are doing today with clothing that is far lighter, far more effective, and just more comfortable, all around better. And so, if you think about it, their clothing and gear was just heavy, absorbent, 
cold and clunky. And so no wonder they're road hunting now. I mean, their body was destroyed by the poorly made and inadequate gear of 20 years ago. So I know they don't get a lot of respect. These people who spend the hunting season drinking beer at camp and driving around in side-by-sides, but they had their time. They were doing the exact same stuff that you're doing today as a new age hunting athlete, but they were doing it with really crappy gear. And I know it seems impossible when you get the top of a mountain and you look down to think that any other hunter has ever been up there. But see, that's a really, really arrogant assumption to make. Because that top of that mountain has been visited by hunters long before you were born. So, you know, I bring this up because I feel like some of these older hunters need respect. Respect they don't get when we see them driving around in their car, you know, hoping to shoot something from the side of the road. So the next time you see one of these old school hunters, you know, give them a respectful nod. Uh, give Give a respectful nod for the guy whose only piece of camouflage when he was hunting was the seat covers of his Bronco. And if you really take the time to think about it, more animals have been killed by guys in blue jeans than guys wearing the newest pair of QU or Sika pants. And let me make it clear, I am not criticizing these brands. I actually own clothing from both QU and Sika. And I know, sure, their stuff is overpriced. But it's breathable, it's waterproof, it's light, and it makes me look cool as hell, which is a, l- a large part of the reason I think most of us wear camouflage is because we appreciate how awesome it makes us look. But, you know, I just wanted, like I said, I just wanted to give props to some of these older hunters who maybe don't get the respect they deserve because we see them as they are now. And what we are actually looking at is our future selves when our, when our knees have been destroyed by, you know, clambering down mountains with big clunky boots. Now, there's another quality of these old-time hunters that's often been overshadowed by these new-age hunting athletes, and it has nothing to do with gear. It has to do with the harvest of animals. Most old-school hunters grew up and hunted in a time when scores did not matter nearly as much as they do now, and the words trophy hunting were seldom used. And actually, I looked up the term trophy hunting... And it doesn't even show up in the American lexicon until the 1900s. And it doesn't take off until the 70s, you know, according to Google uh, Engram Viewer, which is a a way to see the popular usage of words throughout time. And you can see the trend that in the 70s, you know, the use of the word trophy hunting skyrockets. And so a lot of these old school hunters, when they were kids, you know, they were taken out And they were shown hunting by people who were more concerned about the amount of meat on the animal rather than the amount of antlers or horns. And again, that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm saying these old school hunters are better than new age hunters. It was just a different kind of hunting where they focused on a different kind of hunt. It doesn't mean that they were better and I don't think that you're better. It's just that they're different. And that's kind of what I'm trying to point out is that hunting has changed over the last 40 years. And one of those changes is we have gone from more of a, you know, kind of sustenance type of a hunt, more of a cultural type of a hunt to what a lot of people and not even a lot of people, maybe a small minority of the hunting population do more of a trophy hunting, you know, do the whole, uh, 
Teddy Roosevelt thing in Africa when he went out and he shot all those animals for the museum. And this is something that I started to think about because the way the public, the non-hunting public, views hunters is confused by this old-time notion of sustenance hunters and what we see in the new age hunting athlete who is a trophy hunter. And what I was thinking about it was, you know, who really is the spokesperson for hunting or for hunters? Who is it that the world thinks of when they think of a hunter? There's not a lot of popular figures out there who we can hold up as a light for the world and say, this is what a hunter is. Now, Ted Nugent, he definitely is one of those few people who people who who others might recognize both in and outside of the hunting world. And let's take a minute to talk about Ted, because I like Ted Nugent. And the reason I like him is that he's the most honest hunter out there. You know, he tells it like it is. He likes every single aspect of hunting, from following the animal, killing the animal, and consuming the animal. And he doesn't hide his appreciation of any of those aspects of hunting. And he doesn't offer pleasing platitudes meant to assuage those who don't understand hunting. If everyone could be as real and unapologetic as Ted Nugent, I think that hunters would have to explain themselves less and less. And part of the reason that hunters find themselves having to explain why they like hunting is because of the disconnect between the people who claim to speak for hunters and the hunters themselves. Now, who is it that actually speaks for the hunters? You know, who is it that goes before the media and talks about hunting? Unfortunately for us as hunters, the people who end up speaking for the hunting world tend to be those individuals who kill exotic animals or post gruesome kill videos that get a lot of attention. And then, of course, there's young female hunters who have large social media followings, and they also get a lot of unwanted attention. And here's the problem. These people making it onto the news for killing a lion or lying next to a giraffe that they just killed are perhaps the worst hunting advocates we could possibly have because they have almost nothing in common with the large majority of hunters out there. And the more you think about the people who speak up for the hunters, the more you understand the scorn we hunters receive. Now, a lot of these hunters who are being put in front of the media are young, white, and rich, which is a terrible combination in today's world. I mean, just being one of those three things can bring you grief in the right circumstance. Now, you tack on the killing of an animal most people have loved since their parents put the stuffed animal version of it into their crib, and you've got the perfect recipe for a big, steamy plate of hate. And that hate trickles down all the way to the less deserving, to those actual sustenance hunters. I recently watched an interview on Fox with one of these hunters. And she kept going on and on about how she hunts to fill the freezer. You know, we all do this to fill our freezers, and we all do this to eat the animal. After a while, her whole freezer speech began to feel like a you know, like a Bill Clinton, I did not have relations with the woman type of a thing. Like it was something someone else told her to say when asked the question about why do you hunt? 
And, and really, it comes down to this. If, you, if it really was all about putting meat in the freezer, you'd be posting videos of you cooking an elk roast. You wouldn't post videos of you wrecking an elk with your 300 Ultra Mag. You know, you would also be posting videos of you high-fiving your boyfriend after making a delicious stew. Instead of posting a video of you high-fiving your guide after sticking an exotic animal with an arrow. So, I mean, what you say and what you do are definitely in conflict with each other. And the thing that makes it so hard for the rest of us is that everybody sits there and when you say something like you're doing it to fill your freezer, they can see that you're absolutely full of crap. That you are, at your heart, nothing but a trophy hunter. And unfortunately, you are also rich, white, and young. Which, by the way, none of those things are bad. Being a trophy hunter is not bad. And being rich, white, and young is not bad. But to continually lie to people like that, that's bad. And it gives everybody a bad name. You would think by the amount of hunting that this person does, you would think that she probably has the world's largest freezer system, like 500 sub-zeros stacked together. And the other thing I would say to that person, really, you hunt for the meat? Please tell me, how is the best way to prepare wolf? I mean, what's the best way to prepare a coyote? What's the best way to prepare a mountain lion? Which, by the way, some people do eat mountain lion, but I've never met someone who does, and I really doubt that she's got mountain lion meat in her freezer. And this is a problem. It's a common theme among disingenuous hunters. They go on and on about how they do it for the meat, and nobody's fooled. All they do is make everybody else look bad. Now, a friend of mine is a big money hunter. And I got to tell you, I roll my eyes every time he gets into an ethical discussion about hunting with someone who does not hunt. He tells them how he always eat the meat. I always eat the meat is what he says. I always eat the meat. And that's what he tells this person to make himself feel good and to make them feel good. But basically, he's just lying to their face. And again, he's not posting videos on YouTube on how to field dress an animal or how to make your own deer jerky. All of his videos on YouTube are him killing an animal. I mean, really, that's the high point. And this is the biggest problem with these people's arguments is that there is definitely a problem when you say one thing, but you post videos of nothing but kill shots. And I get it. You find videos of animals being killed to be titillating, which is a great word, titillating, titillating. But... If all you do is post nothing but animal snuff films, I don't know how much you can actually sit there and tell everybody about how it's all about the meat. Because obviously, the meat isn't really the first thing on your mind when you're looking at that animal. You're not looking at that animal and thinking, my goodness, I can only imagine what the back straps on that deer is going to be. Is that really the thought in your head right before you pull the trigger? Or is the thought in your head, holy crap, look at the size of his horns. And look, again, I need to reiterate that there is nothing wrong with being a trophy hunter. I, I have no problem with someone shooting an animal because it's got an awesome set of horns. Because as amazing as it may be, trophy hunting and hunting other than for just sustenance is not a new thing. Just the other day, I was reading a book about the Mongols. More and in this book, they talk about how Kublai Khan, he used to go out hunting. 
But he didn't hunt like anybody else. He had four elephants that would carry this ginormous silk-covered kind of carriage in which he would sit or lounge. And then when the migratory birds would fly over in dark clouds, they would roll back the canopy so he could take a shot at them. Now, on top of that, he had a group of soldiers fanning out to the right and to the left, and their job was to slowly herd the animals toward the center so that the Khan could have a shot at them. Now, compare this to Kublai's grandpa, who was Genghis Khan, who in his youth hunted for survival. I mean, all he would do was shoot field mice and rabbits just to survive. But the reason I bring this book up is to point out that Kublai, he was hunting for reasons other than sustenance. I mean, he was the great Khan. He could have food at any time, any place, prepared any way he wanted. And so food was not a concern for him. He hunted for a, new, a number of reasons. You know, some of them were to remember his ancestors. Some were to keep in touch with his culture. Others were to just do it for sport. And this is something that I think a lot of people forget when they feel like they have to justify hunting to people who do not hunt. Because a lot of people think that the only reason to hunt is to hunt for sustenance. But that concept of hunting just for sustenance, that's a modern one. Because people who have hunted throughout time have hunted for a whole host of reasons. And not just to stay alive. But this is the problem. The whole conversation about hunting, and I mean the conversation that takes place between hunters and non-hunters, is sent into a a tailspin by trophy hunters who are dishonest about the reason they hunt. And they're the ones who muddy the waters. Now, if these hunters would just be up front and say, look, I have always wanted to have the thrill of killing a lion. Or I have always wanted to kill a giraffe so I could get up close. Or so I could put it in a room and admire it all the time. Which, by the way, exotic animals have always been admired, both alive and dead, throughout basically the entire history of man. And so if these people would just be open and honest about it, and not give us these lies about wanting to fill their freezer, I think the discussion would go a lot better in public. And maybe the best spokesman for hunting in this modern day and age would be, you know, Bill and Gene from the trailer park who do more antlerless hunts than antler hunts, who take the entire animal, who don't put out YouTube videos of their kill, who package it all up for their own use, and who actually do pass around recipes on how best to make moose stew. We don't need as a group these people who really represent and I don't want, this is going to sound ridiculous, but these hunters who represent basically 1% of us, these rich big game hunters, we don't need them being the spokesperson for the 99% of us who don't hunt at all like they do. And it's not what they're saying that is so bad. It's the way that they're saying it. It's that they they feel like they have to justify what they do. Look, if you want to go to Africa and kill a lion or an elephant or a giraffe, that's fine. Everybody I know would love to go and do that. The thrill of killing one of those animals, you don't need to explain that to me. The problem is when you try to throw in all these other reasons for killing a lion and people can see just right past that. Oh, you know, I shot that lion because uh, conservation, uh, food, uh, we fed a Maori tribe. 
everybody watching you on Fox News or CNBC or MSNBC, they can all see through that bullcrap. Everybody knows that the only reason you shot that lion is because you've always dreamed of shooting a lion. And that's not actually a bad thing. People have had a desire to hunt exotic animals outside of their certain geographic location throughout all of history. And so you wanting to go out and shoot a lion is not a big deal. And it's actually not that out of step with how humans have hunted for thousands of years. So instead of sitting there and lying to everybody about how you do it to fill a freezer, why don't you just come out and say that you wanted to shoot a lion because you appreciate lions and you've always wanted to do it. It's something you've dreamed of and the opportunity and the chance was thrilling. Because when you do that, it silences your opponents because it's the truth and the truth really does put a cork in it. When you say it correctly, you know, at the end of the day, we should all be honest about why it is that we hunt, regardless of the reaction of the clueless public. If you hunt to fill a freezer, great. If you hunt because you want a grizzly bear standing in your trophy room, that's fine. Just don't give us all this bull crap about hunting for meat when that is not your primary purpose for hunting. Because the lie is obvious to everyone who's paying attention. And by putting forth this lie, you are making all hunters look bad. And last of all, it's insulting to those who really do put the meat first and the horn second. Anyway, that's all for today. Follow us at redneckradio.blogspot.com and leave us your positive feedback, please. And leave us any questions you might have. Also, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and give us a rating and review because that's how this podcast gets attention on iTunes. Thanks again. Thanks for listening and happy hunting.